exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down I'm C.J. Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studios in Lake Wales, Florida home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowlers Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show was regularly scheduled at the same time each week. The late Kegel owner, the great John Davis, told Len Nicholson to start this program because, quote, people need to know what you know, end quote. This PBA and bowling writer Hall of Famer has now recorded over 1,200 shows and has featured over 425 guests since 2002. 20 years plus of bowling knowledge, story sharing, and true expertise. Phantom, we need to know what you know. So Phantom fans, here's your host, Len Nicholson, the Phantom. Well, thank you, CJ. And a reminder that Phantom Radio it's presented by the Kegel Company, the number one lane maintenance company in the world. Well, Phantom fans, this week's guest has been here many times, and you're all familiar with his outstanding bio and career. He's a former Team USA member, and he was selected to the top 50 all-time greatest players in PBA history. He's in the USBC and PBA Hall of Fame, and also several Jewish Halls of Fame. So, bowling fans, here is one of those loyal guys you'll ever get to know, Barry Asher. Hello, Barry, and welcome back to the show. Hey, Phantom, it's great to be back on your show. Always love doing it with you. Well, I love talking to you. You know, too many times in the past, though, we've been talking about some of our fellow comrades and soldiers that have passed away, and one thing we don't want to do, we never want to forget the history of the PBA, the tradition of the PBA, and all of its great stars. This week's guest that you're going to be talking about was very special for you. I know that for a fact. In fact, you know them all, but you might know this guy the best of all. So give us a little bit of a rundown. We can't, we don't have enough time for you to tell the whole story because you hung around with him for years and years. But tell us what you can about the great Mike McGrath. Oh, that's that's easy to do. He's talking about Mike McGrath. You said we were we were really close. Well, about every morning for uh, let's see from night I don't know for six years or so, uh, we had to look at each other across the dining room table and have coffee as we shared a house. We owned a house together. But the story of Mike McGrath begins in 1965 when a 19-year-old college kid from El Cerrito, California, decided he's going to go on the summer tour, and he goes to Portland to bowl his first tournament and walks away with the first win, the first time anybody had ever won the first tournament they bowled in. <laughs> so that set the table for, for Mike McGrath. I, that's, I met Mike McGrath in uh, 1965. I'll get to that in a heartbeat, but talk about, talk about his wins. In 68, again, he won Green Bay, but the, he won two majors. He won the 69 and 70 PBA Nationals, 
back-to-back, and he stopped the string of Bill Allen, who was great in the clutch, and Mike got up and was just as good in the clutch. And uh, so two majors there, 1970, he won Miami. 72, he won Anaheim and uh, Hawaii. 73, he won his third major, the U.S. Open. He beat Earl. You can find that one probably on YouTube. And he had a chance to put Earl away. And uh, when he had a chance to put you away, he put you away. And uh, then we got, uh, he won Pennsville. I, I forget where that was. And uh, oh, no, that was in New Jersey because I'll tell you, I could tell you a story about that one because he told me in practice, he says, you know, I got a good shot. And I saw Lenny watching me being the Phantom. And he goes, I saw, so I moved out and played about five or six. He said, but I'm going to move, I'm going to play like 12 or 13, which he never played there, but sure as hell he won it. And then his last <laughs> one was Hawaii. So, that was back-to-backs for Hawaii, but we'll go back uh, back a little bit before we just start telling stories about them. In 1970, Mike McGrath, leading money winner, $52,049. Second, Bober, $48,950. So Mike had won twice in 1970, one of them being the Nationals, the other Miami. Uh, Bo won four times, so Bo got Bowler of the Year, and at that time, it was probably more popular to um, give Bowler of the Year to a right-hander. Uh, let's just be perfectly honest. The bowling writers were they were old, and they didn't much like left-handers. And the next year, Johnny won 85000 or eighty one, and Don John. Well, they should have been co-bowlers of the year. So enough of that. Let's, let's, let's get to Mike McGrath. Let's get to the man. And the first time... I think I remember we hung around a little bit. I remember Louisville in 65 and I was a, I was a really lousy bowler and Mike was strutting around and he'd recite, he's, he'd tell when Harry Gold would introduce you, you know, he might say something about you. Well, Harry didn't have to say it because Mike would go around and say, and now from El Cerrito, California, the bowler that made PA history by winning the very first tournament he entered Mike McGrath and Mike would walk around and say this all the time. And, he probably pissed a lot of the old guys off, but, you know, what the <laughs> hell. But I, I really remember him playing. He's playing cards with the old guys, Fred Lenning, Pete Townis, whatever they're playing poker, pen game probably. Yeah. And I'm, I'm watching, and he looks at me, and he was – Mike was a smart ass. You know it. I know it. And he looked at me. He goes, hey, Asher, you know, I heard about you before the you came on tour. I thought you could bowl. <laughs> Well, you know, that really, really made me feel good. You know, rub a little salt in the wound because I probably couldn't cash with a pencil. <laughs> so the next year I win the second turn. I win in Sino, and the next week I'm playing the pinball machine in Fort Worth with Billy G. And McGrath comes up, starts talking to me. So I said to him, I said, well, last year you weren't, I wasn't good enough for you to talk to. Now you want to talk to me and have lunch. So. And that's kind of how it began. I got drafted, and I was stationed in Oakland. And on weekends, or when Mike would come down from El Cerrito for the weekend school, from school, we'd uh, the bowling alley there. I forget the name of it in El Cerrito. They had a good barbecue restaurant. They had a good bar. So Mike and I would have dinner and have a few beers and tell stories, and that's kind of how we got close. And in 70, they were traveling to the Burtons and the McGrath. They all had kids, and I was traveling with Burton, so we'd go down Lake of the Ozarks and things like that. But years years go by, and 
Mike's now living in Southern California as a salesman for AMF. Things aren't going too good. Things are, you know, falling apart. And he walks into the place where I'm at. I'd given it up uh, and trying to do a shirt business. And he comes in and he goes, hey, Barry, I'm moving out. You want to get a place? I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm working. I got, you know, I'm on the road. Could you find a place? I go in Stanton. I find a brand new you know, like a tri-level apartment. So that's when he and I start start living together. And a little while later, we bought a condo and we and we bought a house. But Mike was he 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 didn't he didn't let a lot of people get close to him. He wasn't he that's the way he was. But when he was your friend, I mean, he'd go to bat for you. We were living together. He and I and Hal Dunbar, salesman for for Brunswick, and our friend and our teammate with Mark Baker. That was pretty much our team, and and we had it was a crazy house. Every weekend was parties, and there were bowling tournaments. And I started back bowling again. I quit for about a year and a half. And Mike and my dad browbeat me into starting to bowl again and bowl eight gamers and things like that. But. Uh, Mike, his kids would come. He had three kids, and uh, they, they'd come spend the weekend. And he was one of the great, in my opinion, all-time fathers. He took super care of his kids. They all got, they all, you know, made sure that what, whatever he had to do to further their education. Jennifer was became the city attorney here in uh, Huntington Beach, wow. and and his. Uh, the, his uh, daughter with, uh, was uh, a superstar soccer coach. And Donnie, his son, could could have played football probably in college, but he got mad at a coach. But he he became, you know was a super super student. He was very education oriented, and uh, you just uh, we, we we had a we just we had a great relationship. And when he started to decline. First, his hearing went. Then it became very, very frail. I have a picture in my phone of his last birthday, and it wasn't it wasn't that guy. Well, he so, he he was very talented, not only bowling, but you know, I know he was a decent golfer and he was a writer, and you know, he was very well educated. He was a smart guy. He was. We'd play tennis every night uh, when we we had this condo. We played golf all together a lot. But he loved to write, and then yeah. his second his second wife Margie, her dad was a uh, screenwriter for Hanna Barbera, the thing. So yeah, so I mean, Mike, and that furthered his love for writing. He wrote the column in the Bowler's Journal for I don't know fifteen twenty years maybe. Yeah, and I remember just you know sometimes in the mornings they sit down, we got to do my column. I says okay, so we figure out what to talk about and then he'd write it because you know I I'd have trouble putting two sentences together. <laughs> you know, here's something you don't even know. I just thought about it, but uh you know, he was obviously a left-hander and there was a lot of controversy before I even took the job, but I can tell you that he never ever complained to me one time. He might have complained, but never to me, but uh I wanted to have him on my show one time. And he was working in San Francisco. This was after he retired from the tour. And he was working at a bowling center there. And I said, yeah. Mike, I want you on the show. He says, well, where do you live? I said, Vacaville. It's about 75 miles from San Francisco. He says, all right, uh, give me the address. I'll come up tomorrow. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, I want to sit there with you while you do it. 
He says, I want to learn how you do it. I mean, he was always wanting to learn something. Uh, really a smart guy. And I loved him, man. I'll tell you the truth. You know, but Mike, Mike won 10 times, but the, oh, yeah. the best one, you know, no, we're forgetting his, 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 his greatest defeat, right? You know, the one I'm talking about, Paramus. Go ahead. 19, tell the story. 1960. Oh, it was great. The, the, the house, you know, the house, it, it was Paramus. The right side, left side, didn't matter. They, they were pretty hard. Well, Mike, we had 16 men in the finals and Mike goes 16 and 0. Obviously, it, obviously it's a record. He's bowling on TV, and he bowls Ralph Engen for the title. And I, I think, I don't know, probably in the fifth frame, the, the scores were probably in the 60s. And Ralph caught a turkey for about buck 80, and Mike shot 149. So that was Mike's first time on national TV after going 16 and 0. He shoots 149, and he he'd. Uh, Oh, he, he never forgot it, but he was really, really good on TV. Another time when McCune had, you know, had the soaker. Yeah. And unless we know something was up, but that's okay. They're bowling. He makes the show in uh, uh, Winston-Salem. Qualified, I don't know, third or something like that or second. He bowls Earl on TV. Mike shoots 247 or something like that. Earl shoots 279. <laughs> and the championship game, Earl just – couldn't get, you know, he just shoots 190 and McCune shoots whatever McCune shoots and wins. And in the paddock, by that time, Mike had a couple of beers because he always had one before he went on TV. That was his ritual. One beer before TV, you had to, you had to be there. You might have been there when he just started berating Earl about how he could shoot 279 and then not show up for the last game. And it got to be, and these arguments, they got to be comical. They weren't they were so malicious that they were funny. And then, you know, Mike had, uh, oh, he had three Eagles. He made a spare to beat us. And to this day, nobody knows how he touched, how the head pin fell over and knocked the ball. <laughs> you know, one thing people don't, uh, well, of course, now they have four, three game matches in the Masters, but then they had four game matches. Right. And the record was 1080, I'm going to say 1084. For four by Don Carter, and in Detroit, Mike shot 1083, wow. missed that by four. So people that you know, if, if they think he couldn't bowl on the right side, they were crazy. He could bowl again. He he beat the righties and beat the lefties. Oh, he was tough. As far as I'm concerned, he's in the top five lefties of all time, and probably the top 15 of all bowlers of all time. I don't remember oh. what number he was in the top 50. The players sure. PBA. Sure. 39. Still, he was great, man, I'll tell you. I was 47. Was Danny Wiseman 39 or was Mike? Because I have the bowling ball. I have the record in my pro shop. We have <laughs> put pictures on there. Uh, I've got, you know, his top 50 ball. I've got three of them, Salvino's, mine, and McGrath's. Wow. And and the, the, the Hall of Fame, you know, the, the picture, the drawing, the big, you know, big frame. I came back to uh, from somewhere – Years ago, and that was there in my pro sh- in the pro shop was that picture, and I go, "What's that?" And Cody, he said, uh, "Mike's son brought it in." And I called him up. I go, "Donnie, what, what's this doing here?" He goes, "Well, we got together. And we decided that we want you to have it." Wow. I said, "Wow, that's pretty special." He says, "Yeah, we're just hoping to put it up in the shop." Well, it was up that day. I'll, you don't have a picture of it. I'll send you a picture of it. 
Oh, that's cool. You know, yeah. the, the camaraderie back in those days was just unbelievable. The guys would go back and forth now and then, teasing each other in locker room and all that. But, you know, the other day I was listening to another podcast and, the, and they talking to Bo Burton. And, and Bo, he, he loves himself more than anybody, but he, he's a hell of a good guy, great bowler. And they asked him, they <laughs> says, they says, hey, Bo, uh, if somebody was going to bowl you in the 10th frame, who would you hate to have up there, especially if they needed a three-bagger to beat you? And without hesitation, he said Barry Astor. So you're very high on his list, my friend. Yeah. We both doubles together. We had a chance. If I stuck around another year or two, I would have got an eagle with him because I think he won one with his brother, and Bo and I were partners. We won a couple team titles, and Mike won uh, Mike won three eagles. So yeah, Bo, yeah, but Bo, that that's funny. That yeah, that Bo Bo shot two ninety nine and three hundred back to back days. You know, so how, how who was doing the lanes? It wasn't the Phantom. No. Maybe it was. Not the ABC or the Masters, none of that. No, that was back. This was, to, you know, last week when Bo shot 200. So he's he's the greatest 79-year-old bowler on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, he, and he might be, and if you don't believe him, ask him. He'll tell you. I know. In fact, the guy that was interviewing him on the podcast asked him, you know, are you still pretty good? And he says, well, he says, there's been 37 guys that have shot 900. And I'll bowl them all for whatever they want to bowl for. <laughs> that's that's no problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and then he added, it depends how many games they want to bowl. You know, he says I'll bowl them so they can't they can't walk anymore. He goes, oh, he, oh, he will. You know what? It, the greatest thing, the the greatest story I heard about his dad was that you know why was his dad so good? He said he was the biggest, the strongest, and he had the most money. <laughs> so so he would bowl I mean he'd bowl till he won and Bo could do that I mean Bo was not if you ever met his dad his dad was a big man and Bo's not a big a big big guy Bo could bowl I I honestly believe that he could sit there and bowl bro he's in yeah yeah uh, he was yeah, in good he, shape but we had a good summer of uh, 70 when McGrath the McGrath and the Burtons we go lake in the Ozarks, and uh, you know, Bo had a had an old houseboat, and we had a hell of a time. We we really did. That was a, that was a good summer. Mike's first wife, Sandy, she she could beat me in everything but bowling, <laughs> golf, tennis, whatever, water skiing, you name it. She was a hell of an athlete too. But but Mike is just a a super. He was he. We became absolute. Joined at the hip, best friends. So when I I looked at the I looked at the phone and I saw a call from Jennifer. Well, I knew that he was gone. So we, we had a thing down here at the house. We had a uh, we celebrated Mike's life in my backyard, and Mike's first wife Sandy was there. We couldn't find his second wife. Mike's third wife was there. Debbie Durbin, Mike's wife, Mike Durbin's wife, came out. Donna Adamick came down. Uh, it was uh, it was really it was a great day. His kids were there, but uh, you know he didn't want you to get close. But once when when you got close, when he became your friend, he'd go he he just go to the well for you. Yeah, he had that laugh too. It was I mean he 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 had a great sense of humor, and when he would start to laugh, it was pretty quick and short, but it was loud. <laughs> yep, yeah, it was. 
it, it really was. Yeah, I, lo- I love talking about. It. I just love it. the mem- the memories we had. I mean, every 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 single weekend there was something to bowl in, whether it was a regional or a eight gamer or something. And the party always ended up at our house in Irvine. Everybody go to the market, and it was you know just just a good time. Twenty thirty twenty twenty five people. Who knows? Were there? It was great, and and that was. Uh, his and my divorce was that was his best divorce ever. <laughs> yeah, everybody, because we were joined at the hip, and they go, "Hey, uh, Mike goes, hey, you know, I'm getting married, and okay, well, so we took, all right, what do you want, Mike? What do you want? You want the? Uh, he says, give me the uh, the couches, okay. Hey, Mike, what else? The refrigerator, okay. Hey, I'll take the washer and dryer, okay. We're about done, and and we we started we co- we started collecting art to let's call it we collected art together. I saw a, a Willie Mays in the newspaper, a Leroy Neiman. Well, I I wasn't even a Willie Mays fan because he was a giant and I was a Dodger fan. Yeah. Mike and I go look at it, and I didn't know Mike really was you know like fishing, although he didn't go hardly at all. But we're the thing back then they were the things were like eleven hundred. I remember they're both eleven hundreds called Marlin. If anybody wants to look at it online and Willie Mays, Leroy Neiman's. And I didn't want to spend nine hundred and ninety dollars. Guy gave us ten percent. We're walking out this art gallery thing. It was in a warehouse and Mike just jabs me in the in the in the ribs. He says, Hey, if you'll buy Willie Mays, I'll buy Marlin. And we turned around and we went back and we and we bought it. So we started we became art collectors. <laughs> wow. Well you couldn't have done much better than that as far as I'm concerned. I'll tell you. That guy was no. something else. He was a super salesman for Brunswick, and I was going down the stairs at Bowl Expo, and this old man, I forgot, and I'll think of his name or you'll know it. Anyway, he looks at my, my bag. He said, oh, did you buy anything? I said, no, I was I was working for uh, West Pie Global for 900 Global. He said, well, he said, you know, I used to run I used to run Brunswick, and I can't, like, you know, it'll come to me later. And I said, oh, so he says, you know, your buddy McGrath worked for me. And I, he said, you know what? Of all the people that worked for me, he was the one guy that I could always count on that would never tell me what I wanted to hear. He said, and he said, you don't know how much I appreciated that. Yeah. Of what a, what a great salesman, what a great loyal person he was to Brunswick. And he was not going to bend over and kiss my butt because I was his boss. Yeah. And that's yeah, the way that, he lived his life. That's the way he lived his life. Absolutely. Listen, Barza, I'm looking at the old clock on the wall. You got one more story for us? Oh, I can't. I don't know. You you got to tell one. I can't. You know, it's kind of hard. I've been going so fast. I lost I lost track. Okay. Uh, he and I are living together. We both got 10 titles. We both, when we quit, we're in the top 15 of whatever, all the categories. And if you were to watch us bowl and, 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 ju- and, and just go by what we looked like on the lanes, I looked like I had more talent. But he, if, if, if you could have taken his mental game and put it in my head or vice versa, we might have hit him for he, – he would have he won 20. If he had a little bit – move around more on the lane like Dave could or Earl or Johnny. Yeah. yeah. Mike, Mike – Mike's head would have won 20 because he could slow the pace of the game down like a Dick Ritker could, a Bo could. They could put it in perspective. 
And they just made that shot. And you, you can kind of watch it in the U.S. Open when he beat Earl. <laughs> I mean, I mean, hey, that that's a – how about Larry Lobb? How come we forget how this guy won 14 times and we forget him? He was yeah. he was special when he got it going. Yes, he was. But well, back-to-back – Back-to-back majors and the U.S. Open, that, that kind of – that says it all. Yeah, for sure. Listen, let me let me thank you for helping me do this show uh, with Mike, and I still miss him. I know you do too. He was the kind of guy that you'd love once you got to know him. But Phantom fans, that's going to wrap up the show again this week, and I can't believe how quickly the time flies in this show, but that's why they call it the fastest show in all the sports. But, Barry – Anything you want to say? Anything before we leave? Oh, I'm I'm done. I'm I'm talked out. All right, Barnes. Oh, I do. You know what? Yeah, I want to. We we got to give a shout out to Larry Gray. Yeah. Okay. Been on, the, been on the show so many times. I've talked to him a couple times. I know you have. He had a stroke, and everything's going good except his skill of of walking has got to kind of be retaught. But as far as if you talk to him on the phone, you'd never know anything was wrong. Yeah. He's got a good attitude. He's getting better every day. He, in fact, he's put the walker yep. aside. He's staggering yep. around a little bit, but uh, he says he's happy to be alive. Hey, you know what? It's a pretty good thing. It sure is, man. Yeah. All right, Parge, we got to go. So I want to thank our sponsors, the, the Christmans at Storm Bowling, Brad Edelman from the High Roller, and Dave Kowalski. He's a former coach and president of the Michigan State Bowling Coaches Association. So for Phantom Radio, this is a phantom. When you're down and troubled And you need some love and care And nothing, well, nothing is going right Close your eyes and think of me And soon I